I think one of the best ways we can push back against capitalism is to be healthy, happy, fulfilled, and content. Hello, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, in which we interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, and social creatives, people who innovate in service to the life we all share. We ask our guests to respond to just one question. In the face of all that seems to be going awry, what could possibly go right? I met today's guest while wearing one of my other hats as author of Your Money or Your Life. One of the many ways we described the promise of the program we taught was putting your life in service to your values rather than your time in service to money. Laura Aldaney is one of the rising spokespeople in the FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early movement, and she focuses on values-rich and resilient ways of living. More than anybody else, I feel that she reflects my own thinking. She is a green living and money coach and founder of Rich and Resilient Living, where she explores money and lifestyle choices for a regenerative future. She helps reluctant capitalists achieve financial freedom and live their best lives in socially and environmentally conscious ways that equally value people, planet, and profit. She is a sought-after source of knowledge on regenerative investing, and her work has been featured in Forbes, CNBC, and Good Housekeeping. Laura is co-author of the life-changing book, Growing Free, Financially Resilient and Economically Empowered, Building the Life of Your Dreams Without Losing Your Soul or Destroying the Planet. She also contributed to the book, Activate Your Money, Invest to Grow Your Wealth and Build a Better World. And now here's Laura. Welcome, Laura Aldaney, to What Could Possibly Go Right. Our premise with this podcast is simple that in the midst of all that is breaking down around us, in the midst of all the complex entanglement of issues of justice, ecological unraveling, mass distraction, and the basic dynamics of capitalism eating the host, our beautiful, bountiful earth, there are possibilities emerging and our guests help us to see these more clearly so we can act more courageously. You are a special guest to me. I met you through the fire, financial independence, retire early community. And you were the first person who felt like me who brought ethics front and center in their strategies for earning, saving, and investing. So much so that one year when I was invited to speak at a conference, I asked them to invite you instead, that you speak my heart. And at the same time, you have fresh and clear ideas. So you are special as well because you really bring resilience, sort of a big idea of resilience, down to earth in what you live and what you teach. You aren't academic. You don't lead with big ideas or theories or analyses. These are certainly in the background, but you are practical, warm, and you know social media and you make TikTok videos. So (laughs) I'm glad to give our audience your refreshing, grounded ideas on how to live in a post-capitalist world. So here we are, Laura. I will ask you the one question I ask all my guests. In the midst of all that is going awry, what could possibly go right? (laughs) Oh, Vicki, thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation with you. You are one of my favorite people to talk through all of this with, uh, because so much of my thinking and my work 
stands on the shoulders of your money or your life and so much more of the work and just your amazing way of framing this all and and in such a positive actionable way and so I'm delighted to have the chance to to talk this through more with you and your audience and for me when I think about what can possibly go right I'm given so much hope by the fact that I feel like people are hungry for these types of actionable solutions that a lot of the times the the more positive discussions about solutions hover at the macro level, you know, the kind of systems change, which of course we need. But when we can offer the the practical, the actionable, like you were talking about, it, it I think it feels more doable for people. And so the more we can get those actionable, practical, doable examples and suggestions to people, I think the more likelihood there is of you know seeing things go right. I I, I will say um, right up front. You know, none of us have crystal balls, and uh, I don't know if we've passed the point of, you know, some being able to stop something major and cataclysmic from happening. But I do feel like, you know, when you talked about resilience and, and approaching our personal finances from a financial resilience perspective, that at the very least, we're setting ourselves up when we think things through this way and do these things to be in a better position to navigate it all. You know, I so often hearken back to another interview you did on this show with Nate Hagens, and he talked about his Reality 101 class. And one of the things he talked about was what he's really trying to impart with to his students is this, I, this ability to cope, thrive, and transcend. And I I really have taken that into my thinking. And I think that we individually, you know, can prepare for that. And, you know, great if we can do that and avoid the cataclysm. But if we're doing it that way, if the cataclysm does come, then we've got that foundation and we can have that for ourselves, but we can also be that foundation for our communities, you know, to help them go forward if something, you know, cataclysmic does happen. And so, you know, these things I'm going to talk through are kind of, I think of them in that vein, that they're moving me towards that. Like that there's there's no lose, you know, it's a win-win with this approach. You know, of course, I hope for the more optimistic outcome. But so in my work, you know, as a green living and money coach, and really t- taking what you wrote about in your money or your life and pairing it with permaculture, which is this ecological designer's toolkit that looks to nature as with its closed loop, no waste, abundance-based system as the model, you know, in these regenerative practices, how do we bring that into our efforts to build wealth? Uh, Because if we look at um, forests and ecosystems and natural systems, they're constantly enriching themselves through synergistic relationships and interactions. And so how do we bring that into our human pursuit of true wealth? You know, how do we and for us as humans, that involves a lot more than thinking about money, because 
we can't achieve financial resilience only thinking about money, you know, even within the conventional personal finance thinking, the common knowledge is to diversify your assets. And so if we're going to bring in this regenerative thinking, it gives us, it opens up so many possibilities for us to think more holistically, more resourcefully about wealth and what constitutes wealth. And, you know, even just cataclysmic shifts in how we think about retirement planning when we move beyond just money. So that's that's a whole lot right there. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to respond to any of that. Wow. Um, yeah, one thing I want to say is that whether the cataclysmic event is in the will happen or is in the future, there's people right now and there's ecosystems right now that are in the middle of the cataclysmic event. So um, I think I think early on in my work, I I saw it as trying to you know, head, head this off at the past, you know, trying to prevent something and, you know, trying to turn the tide, if you will. And uh, now it's and it, the idea that we're in the middle of it now. We're not anticipating. It's not like the, you know, the meteor is out there, you know, and can be moved, you know, can be. So um, it, I think it, it provides a different set of thinking, a different kind of thinking. Um and I'm not going to say that much about what I think that means. You know, do you find that? Do you find that that we're you see us in the middle of something, and that you think differently about resilience, resources, money, community? Do you think differently about that now? Yes, I yes, I do. And actually, you know, right now in my part of Florida, we've had very little rain this spring. You know, and so this isn't a major weather event, but even, you know, in terms of stewarding a food forest on my land or trying to grow more of my own food, it, it's being impacted by a, a simple shift in, in weather patterns. And, you know, I think I do think about this a lot, Vicki, and I think about it you know, like I already mentioned retirement planning, I think there's a whole new shift if we're going to look just into personal finance about how we need to think about retirement planning on a climate challenged planet. You know, the questions we're asking ourselves, the the things we're saving money for, you know, the ways we're preparing, preparing. I mean, even just thinking about like, how do you fortify your home and property for whatever there are the potential weather events where you live? You know, how does water move through and across your property? You know, how are you holding water on your property? Where might you not be able to live someday in retirement? So definitely yes to all of that. Yeah, it's so interesting when you talk about this because, you know, here in my community, I, I I have similar ideas. You know, I have you know cistern on my land. I I you know we we have swales. I you know some point when it gets possibly desperate, I'm going to drive in a well point. You know, so um, I, I think about this. You know, my I joke about I'm, I've got a little survivalist streak, but I live in a private property world. Private property is the sine qua non of our society and thinking systemically in my community that's big big beautiful bright idea but when it comes right down to it on one committee i was serving on you know 
what's actionable is maybe getting another charging station in town. Mm -hmm. What's actionable is, you know, developing a fund so people, uh, lower income people can put in heat pumps. It's almost like we have to think systemically at a level of what the world might look like if we had the consciousness and the practices that could foster a post-capitalist thriving society and at the same time understand the con the constrictions that we're in right now as as the systems really resist they resist change yes you know, the, the headwind so i mean how do you you know like you you come across quite cheerful you know you you cheerfully dumpster dive you cheerfully you know <laughs> I mean, you, you you cheerfully research, you know, organizations that are are brilliant and are sort of pro a resilient future and um, possibilities and you make like sweet TikTok videos. How do you balance um, the headwinds and your capacity to continue to spread the good word, if you will? That's sort of a little religious, but you know what you know what yes. I'm talking about. I will say for me personally, I find that like the dumpster diving and the riding my bike more because I don't want to be consuming fossil fuels, like the things I do that feel like they're acts of resistance, but also building, you know, something better. They're the things that add so much joy and meaning and fun to my life. You know, we... My Albert, my boyfriend and I, and that's what we do when we go out on a date. We go dumpster diving. And, you know, we've been doing it so much at our natural health food store and gotten so many of our friends into it. It often turns into a social occasion. It's like, okay, let's, you know, here's an impromptu gathering at the, the dumpster of our local health food store, you know, or we'll ride our bikes to the beach for sunset. It doesn't feel like it's like pushing you know, it's not hard. It's just, it's the self-actualization in, in pursuing this. And going back to this idea of like how we think about retirement planning and, and the joy element, you know, it's so striking to me that we're so focused on sacrificing our health and working so hard to save for money for our health care later to afford the diseases and sicknesses and illnesses that we're giving to ourselves during our working years. It, and so by just enjoying life, I think one of the best ways we can push back against capitalism is to be healthy, happy, fulfilled, and content, you know? And, and for me personally, that is what those things make me happy. They get down to the essence. They take me out of the noise and the fray. Right. Yeah. I, there's a few other things that I, I want to be sure you talk about. One of them is what inspired you to write this book with two other people? That's one of them. Um, and then the other one is, is you've constituted, you've done a lot of research about socially responsible investing. And that's now sort of like a <laughs> people don't know that, that there is um, brand capture of every good idea by the corporatocracy, you know, so socially responsible investing as you know, is, is now you think you're doing it because you buy X fund rather than Y fund. So I'm, I'm really interested in what you finding 
in terms of organizations and businesses um, that help you inform yourself about pro-resilient investing and you know, I'm not asking you for investment advice. Let's not even yes. go there. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I almost stumbled into it. But yeah, so what are you finding? You know, what are you doing? I can tell you a little bit afterwards what I'm doing. So okay, let's talk. All right. Well, first, we'll start with the book and why we wrote the book. And the name of the book is? It's called Growing Free, Financially Resilient and Economically Empowered, Building the Life of Your Dreams Without Losing Your Soul or Destroying the Planet. Thank you. That's- <laughs> everyone involved with the book is steeped in permaculture. So while we don't have permaculture in the title, a lot of the thinking, that regenerative thinking, the looking to nature as the model thinking is woven throughout that book. Anyone can read and appreciate it. But the why we wrote it is from my perspective, because it, it, we're reaching out to two audiences. One would be the audience that is already somewhat um, confident and stable in their relationship with money, but they're conflicted for what you were going into about our investing options. Because even with the socially responsible, the ESG, the environmental social governance screened mutual funds or the socially responsible mutual, mutual funds, they still keep our money in um, sugary beverages and single-use plastic bottles and predatory you know, financial institutions with predatory lending practices. We all know that. So there are people that are confident with money, but they, they're looking for how to navigate money to feel less conflicted about it. Um, so that is one audience. But then there are also a lot of, you know, creatives, artists, activists, you know, people homesteading, people pursuing permaculture that struggle financially, whether it's because they just feel money is icky and don't want to deal with it, or they feel overwhelmed and they don't understand it enough. And so especially for that audience, we really wanted to give them a toolkit to learn about how to, you know, navigate, step up to money to earn it. Um, in sustainable ways, doing regenerative work, and then design uh, this financially resilient life. And as much as it is, our book is more a, a lifestyle design book than it is even a personal finance book. It's a, you know, a regenerative lifestyle design book, how to have a regenerative livelihood. To, we need all hands on deck when it comes to doing these jobs to address these major social and environmental problems that we've created. And so this is the toolkit to enable people to step up to create those livelihoods addressing our problems, but do it in a way where they are financially secure, but not in a way that they become, you know, totally tied 24-7 to this new livelihood stream that they're creating for themselves. They're creating this meaningful life when they're thinking more strategically about resources, more holistically about resources, and in general, what a wealthy life looks like to them. And a word you've used a lot, what is enough? You know, how do you de determine your point of enough and design your life around that, doing the work that needs to be done and creating a fulfilling and meaningful life for yourself, while also contributing to your community? Call order. Yes. 
but the book is the the roadmap for people to be able to do that. So that's the book. As far as investing and what's going on, there are a couple things I'd like to share. Not only just you know about um, what kinds of things people can invest in outside of the stock market, but some really some pockets of what I see going right out there to because there's a lot of interest. When I say people are hungry for this and they they just don't know what I get a lot of I didn't know what I didn't know or that sounds like fresh water or I want more of that. You know, people just don't know this is out there or where to look for it. And so that's my work is <laughs> trying to get more of the message out there. And so for me, it started, you know, I discovered your book, um, Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Work Week and Permaculture at about the same time, along with the, the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early. And I really liked FIRE, but I didn't want it through investing in the stock market or creating a large real estate portfolio that was going to exacerbate affordable housing issues in my community. And so you know, your book is a great roadmap, but especially the earlier versions um, for the money, it was really a large part of putting your money in treasuries, which at that point wasn't a viable option, you know, when I discovered the book. And so it sent me on this learning curve of, okay, I'm not a wealthy accredited investor. I don't have millions of dollars. Not all of these big, really, truly meaningful investing opportunities are going to be open to me. But I started finding little pockets. I learned about slow money, you know, that where people were investing in their local food sheds. And I learned that they were doing that often by um, opening something called a self-directed IRA. And most people have never heard of self-directed IRAs, but about 4% of Americans, I believe, have them. Most people who do are investing in real estate portfolios with their self-directed IRAs, but there's so much more we can do with them. We can make loans through our self-directed IRAs. We can invest in startup companies with missions that you know are, again, aligned with addressing our, our challenges and our social and environmental challenges. So many things, you know, I created a self-directed IRA for myself and I bought an ownership share of our local permaculture farm. When our longest running organic farm in the area was at risk of going under, someone stepped up and, you know, asked a lot of people to make low interest loans to the farm so they could take over the the mortgage and save it. And I did that. You know, I started having conversations in my community with people also interested in local investing to see, you know, what's going on, because local investing is very important to me. But beyond that, you know, I started again, looking at these crowdfunding um, platforms or websites that are out there like WeFunder or Seed Invest. And like you said, this isn't financial advice. This is just informational and educational information only. But I was able to find a Native American food products company raising money, you know, for their business. I was able to find a project in a low-income neighborhood, I think in the Chicago area, raising money for a project, you know, and lend them money. There, there are, I was learning about more and more things. And then I learned about uh, the next egg, which is a playoff of a nest egg, you know, your retirement nest egg. 
And it's a, it's a community of practice, a learning community of people who are interested in pursuing this investing off of Wall Street into opportunities that are far more regenerative and part of the solution than we could ever find investing in Wall Street. And, and so through the next egg, I learned about a number of financial planners who are working with people to help them move more of their money into the solidarity economy. You know, people don't want to have their money in the stock market, but they don't know about these other options. And so then the these financial planners eventually realized that there were a good number of them and that they could help and support each other. So they've come together to form the, the rad planners, the radical financial planners. And they're, they have monthly meetings, they've created a Slack channel, and they're recruiting people to their ranks because they cannot keep up with the demand for their services. People want to work with radical financial planners that are going to help them use their money and get it out of the, the capitalist system, or at least the, the very extractive version of it that exists. And so it's striking to me that these rad planners have found that they have a better success rate, or it's easier for them to onboard activists than it is to onboard current financial planners that are entrenched in the conventional thinking. And they want to get CPAs on board. You know, people want this. We just don't have the, the service pro providers out there for it. That, that is super exciting. I mean, now I love I love the enthusiasm with, you know that you express, and also your clarity that you not only were excited about it, but you actually pursued this and you got it in a very grounded way. Um, so, would you just like let people know what the solidarity economy is? Sure. So the solidarity economy is a couple of different things. I don't know if I'll do it complete justice, but. In large part, it's, you know, instead of investing in companies with these hierarchical extractive um, beholden to shareholder models, we're looking at creating more uh, um, cooperatively owned businesses, you know, where the, there's a democratic business model where there's not a huge pay gap between the CEO and the, you know, the janitor and there the um, employees have more of a voice in the way the businesses operated. It's prioritizing um, credit unions, local credit unions, keeping the, the, the money local. You know, so it's, it's very much about removing the extraction and, and exploitation from the economic model. That, no, so let's, let's go from the big picture, and I thank you for all of this, back down to how you live your life in your community. And some of the ways you're solving for, you know, food, water, um, electricity, um, entertainment, romance, you know, all <laughs> of the, you know, all of the things that fill our lives that, that for many people, there's a sort of a, an uneasy background conversation about, I know I'm participating in I'm sort of funding with my attention and with my activity a world I don't believe in, but somehow or another, I can't get out of it. You know, not, you don't have to do a day or a week, but just like, what are your strategies? What are the things that you do joyfully? 
I'll mention a couple of things. One thing for me that I think really has helped me connect with and build community around this, you know, I, I, I live in a bubble here in Florida in the St. Petersburg area, but I, I got involved right away when I moved here with our Sustainable Urban Agriculture Coalition. You know, I, I tapped into our permaculture community. These are people who are, you know, already somewhat thinking along these lines. Maybe they're not bringing the personal finance aspect into it as strongly, but they're thinking about resilience and transition. And so I tapped into that. I'm very fortunate to live in a community with an active time bank, you know, and there's a there's a good bit of crossover with our SUAC, our Sustainable Urban Agriculture Coalition, and our time bank, you know, so, and I I've made the effort to get to know my neighbors. Another thing I'm doing is, you know, I, I love the idea of an intentional community, but I already own my own home. And so does my boyfriend. And we have some other friends that have their own homes, you know, within a couple miles of us. And right now, you know, for me personally, I don't want to um, sell my home and, you know, give up this property that I've already started stewarding in a direction that I want to take it in and move into an intentional community. But we we had a friend who started talking to us about the idea of a decentralized intentional community. So we are making a point to get together with each other every month. There are four couples. Um, two of them have children, two don't. My boyfriend and I are the oldest. So it's it's a somewhat of an age range, but we decided when we first started that we'd focus on um, you know food preservation because we all grow food to some extent, and so it hasn't only been that, but we've gotten together and preserved avocados, you know, pickled avocados. We've gone to the beach together, you know. We're gonna go visit a, another local permaculture property together next weekend, and so we're just trying to you know create more connection and community and skills together. And so that's a conversation people can start having with others in their own communities. You know, how do we become more intentional and connected right where we're at? Exactly. I um somebody I knew was moving to my village and and um he asked me, you know, like, well, just give me the lay of the land. And I said it's like co-housing without the meetings. You know, we all live <laughs> in different houses, but you know, the, the intentionality can be so, so detailed that it's restrictive, you know, so it's sort of like a not too hot, not too cold, sort of Goldilocks place where you have your privacy and you also have your connections. Uh, yeah. So um, I guess, you know, sort of turning the corner to winding this up, I really would like to open it to you. Like, what have we not talked about? You know, interesting, unique things that you hold dear that you would like to mention? Sure. Well, it actually takes us back, as I suspected it might, although not exactly the way I thought, to your money or your life. And this idea of true wealth. Uh, and it for me, again, the, the resilience comes from the true wealth, the, the multiple forms of capital, or as you talk about them, the ABCs of wealth, the abilities, belonging, and community. And, you know, capitalism stifles our creativity. 
It stifles so many things in us, and it makes us reach for our wallet to address and solve our problems, to meet our needs. It's a very convenient way to meet our needs, spending money, but it is the least creative, the least fulfilling, the least meaningful. And when we start, when we can make space to slow down and think about the ABCs of wealth, the multiple forms of capital that are available to us, the social capital, the living capital, the cultural capital, the material capital, you know, all of these other forms of capital, we make space for stepping out of that extractive, exploitive capitalist economy more and for tapping our own creative creativity, resourcefulness, and joy. And, you know, again, it's, to me, the problem is the the solution, sort of, it's like, what people think is deprivation, you know, you know, not spending money to meet a need, it, it really opens up the door to so much self actualization and fulfillment. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that listening to you, and I think anybody listening to this is going to have, it's like you said, when you told people about certain certain strategies you have, it's like, whoa, I never knew this existed, you know, and being able to turn toward one's life and realize that there's a lot of wealth one has, you know, maybe you don't have financial wealth, but you have neighborhood wealth, and neighborhood wealth can make a big difference. And it's not like the booby prize, like if if I could, I would be wealthy, you know, financially wealthy. Um, although that's the tendency of the minds of people. Um, yeah, this just opens up so much space to meeting our needs in such a way that future generations have everything they need to meet their needs, which was the original, you know, formula for sustainability, which is now sustainable sustained growth you know it's like the corporatocracy grabbed the word um and uh so i just am so glad that i could bring your light and your creativity um and your absolute unapologetic enjoyment <laughs> of this different way of life um to people who i think very often feel a split that they have to stay in the world in order to make a difference. And if they were to like do a more ecological lifestyle, it would take them off the front lines. I just think there's there's in the background, there's so much angst in well-meaning, incredibly committed people about how to reconcile their personal way of life with what they know about this earth. And I just think that you've given us a window into what that's like. And I really, really appreciate it. Ah, thank you. Yes. We need more people to redefine rich. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 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 And, and, you know, it's, we often in, in these movements, we talk about, um, you know, uh, personal change is as a necessary but not sufficient approach to making the changes that we need. And so I think people also do that split. Like I, you know, it's not enough to do the personal changes. You know, we have to like, if we can't make everybody think about enoughness rather than more, then what good is it? So I just think these levels of scale and being able to to freely think 
you know, in a in a post-capitalist way about meeting personal needs, social needs, political needs. It's really important, Laura. And I I um I hope that this conversation actually inspires a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you. I hope so too. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com. <laughs>